The Old Testament reading is taken from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, which is page 895 in the church Bibles. And then we jump to Daniel 11, um, verse 40. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him, and keeps his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. 
We move to chapter 11, page 899. Verse 40. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage him in battle, and the king of the north will storm out against him with chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the lead of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with the Libyans and Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Just, uh, you are the great and awesome God, Lord. So let us listen to you now as we delve deep into your scripture. Amen. Um, it's really great to be with you this morning. And uh, as Tom says, if you haven't met me before, my name's Tristan. Um, I have the, the joy of being married to Laura. And uh, we have a little girl called Hattie. Uh, and I um, sort of head up the rising generations here at LPC. Well, if, like me, you love binge-watching things like Line of Duty, then you might, like me, feel a little bereft as we come to the end of our series on Daniel today. I definitely have less time for binge-watching things now that we've got a toddler. You know, and maybe it's sort of 40 minutes of Peppa Pig on a Saturday. I'm obviously kidding. Who can watch Peppa Pig for 40 whole minutes? She's so sassy. The wonderful thing about the book of Daniel um, is, and of course all the other books in the Bible that is, that when you've come to the end, you can reread them all. That's why I love doing the Bible in one year. Because the first time that you read something or you watch something, you, you just sort of want to know how it ends. But when you reread it, you can enjoy how the writer sets up the end. And so today, as it's my privilege to look with you at the last four chapters of Daniel, which are all about endings and times of crisis. Um, do have it open in front of you. Um, but we're going to see how in times of crisis, we can, through prayer, respond as we listen to the king, ask the king, and lead others to the king. 
Over the past few weeks, we've heard how Daniel has had these visions from God about the future, and they've left him shaken and afraid. Check out chapter 4. And now in this passage, the full extent of Israel's crisis is revealed. And we're going to see what Daniel's response is. So as I say, we're, we're in Daniel chapter 9 to start with. Uh, and just so you know, I'm not making it all up. Do um, take a look. You'll find it on page 895. So remember, Daniel is he's in his 80s here. And he must feel his world, his nation, is in an absolute crunch point. If you look at the language of verse 2 here, he talks about the desolation of Jerusalem. It's a really strong word, desolation. The Hebrew word, clever, means a place laid waste, utter ruin. I don't know about you, but reading this chapter of Daniel and reading the news seem almost indistinguishable when we hear of destruction, violence, despair. The nation of Israel must feel desolate right now. My dad's Jewish. His father-in-law lives in Israel, as do many of their friends. Those instead of sent my dad a message last month which just said, hiding in the house, afraid to go out, terrorists in the street. And of course we know the violence in Gaza, in Ukraine, and other parts of the world are just a daily reality for many. Whilst here in Surrey, Many of us are feeling the pinch of the rising cost of living. You might be facing all kinds of things, redundancy or illness, perhaps personally. But when you read the news and, you know, all politicians on all sides are corrupt, I wonder if you also feel we're living at a time of national crisis. So what could we learn from Daniel? How does he deal with the situation? Well, he prays. In pondering over the state of the nation and considering the nation in his grief, Daniel turns to prayer. And his prayer takes five stages. Firstly, Daniel listens to God. Look at verse 2 of chapter 9. I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the words of the Lord given to Jeremiah. Now, prayer is a conversation. I sometimes find it a bit hard to listen. I'm a gambler, me. It's a bit like that chap in Blackadder Goes Forth, if you know the episode. Ready, aim, fire. A few of you have watched it. If you don't, I think it's available on, on some streaming platforms. But, you know, conversations are never great when it's just one-sided and we don't let the other person get a word in edgewise. And if you're struggling to know how to listen to God, it's okay just to be still. He speaks to us in our hearts in silence and in nature, but perhaps best through the words of the Bible. And here at LPC, we stand under the authority of Scripture. And you know, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's why we love reading Scripture together in small groups, like it deeper and by ourselves. Secondly, Daniel turns to God. Look at me, uh, sorry, no, look at me, look at the scriptures with me. 
<laughs> Look at Jesus, not me. Um, but verse three, I turned to the Lord. We should posture ourselves when we pray. You know, this might be physical. We might turn our palms upwards or down. We might fold our hands. We might get on our knees. We might look up. We might look out. That doesn't really matter. How we position ourselves physically is far less important than how we posture our hearts. We need to turn our attitudes and our focus towards Jesus. And so we consider the king in all things. Thirdly, Daniel adores God. Look at how Daniel addresses God in verse 4. Lord, the great and awesome God. This isn't flattery. You know, you've been listening to our sermon series, then you might have picked up on how the various sycophantic advisors of Darius, Belshazzar, and Nebuchadnezzar always trying to appeal to these kings' vanity. Oh, may the king live forever. The irony is, of course, they won't. They didn't. They're all dead. Only God reigns forever. We can't flatter God. That's not what's going on. You know, when you're in awe of someone, you can't help but praise them, can you? We've been blessed with some great food on Alpha and Deeper, and it's, it's natural to want to compliment the chef. So it's entirely natural that Daniel starts here by addressing the great and awesome God. And when he later calls God righteous in verse 7, and merciful and forgiving in verse 9, we know Daniel's speaking the truth. Because it's impossible to consider the nation without considering the king. When we pray, consider, ponder, relish who God is. It's good that Daniel reminds himself of all that God has done and that he is awesome. And knowing who God is and all that he's done gives Daniel confidence. You know, he knows he can trust God because he's always come through. He came through in the lion's den, didn't he? And it may well be that this prayer was what Daniel prayed in the lion's den or something like it because chapter 9 is set at the same time as chapter 6 which is the lion's den story. And we don't know for certain, but what we do know from chapter six is that Daniel had made it his habit to pray, to get on his knees three times a day and give thanks to God and plead on behalf of the nation. So if this prayer is one like he prayed in the lion's den, notice how there's zero self-pity because Daniel is too awestruck by God for that. And talking of lions, I love that line in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe where Mr. Beaver reminds the children that Aslan is not a tame lion. Now, sometimes when we pray, we're perhaps tempted to treat God as our sort of our mate, you know. And certainly he is a friend closer than a brother, but he's also our king. And so it's good to be reminded of this before moving into the fourth stage of prayer. Daniel confesses to God. This actually comprises the bulk of Daniel's prayer. If you look at how it's structured in verses 4 to 11, note how Daniel includes himself though. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked. We've turned away. We've not listened. We are covered with shame. All Israel has transgressed. There are almost two dozen counts of we or our here. 
as Daniel confesses the sins of the nation. And this we is important because when Daniel considers the nation of Israel, when we consider our nation, we're part of the problem. None of us is righteous. Only God is righteous. In verse 7, Lord, you are righteous. You know, our nation has much to repent of, institutionally, historically, and currently, just as the nation of Israel in ancient times. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. We've not loved our neighbours as ourselves. That's why we have homelessness and poverty and all manner of abuses. Our nation and all nations are broken because we continue to break away from God and we must confess and repent. Only then, only then can we come with Daniel to that fifth and final stage of prayer, which is our second key thing. Daniel asks the king. Look at verse 17. Now our God... Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. And so in his petitioning, in his asking of the Lord, Daniel keeps considering both the nation of which he's a part, the nation this is, which is sinful, and he considers the king. Verse 18, which I think encapsulates Daniel's whole prayerful attitude. Verse 18, we do not make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. At the 8 a.m. Book of Common Prayer service, which I absolutely love and I really recommend to you, you know, we're one church and we worship in different ways. We love them all. But the words of the 1662 prayer book, Liturgy, are profound and beautiful. And before coming to the Lord's table, we read the prayer of humble access, which starts, We do not presume to come to this thy table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. You see, in times of crisis, when considering the nation, when tempted to despair that it might all end, and considering the end of the nation, stop and consider the king. The king is our righteous judge, and yet he's the one who is full of mercy. He always has been. He brought his people out of Egypt, verse 15. And you might remember how the Israelites kept, kept turning away from God, didn't they? And then Moses kept interceding for the people when God burned with righteous anger against them. And see here how Daniel intercedes for the nation. And notice how here, with his repetition of we, he's prepared to take the punishment on himself. Does it sound familiar? It should do. Daniel is a forerunner of Christ. He's a shadow cast before the real thing. For the great mercy of God is fulfilled in the sending of his son to die in our stead on the cross so that he could bear our sin. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 8. More than that, Jesus, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Verse 
Christ intercedes for us. He asks God on our behalf. And Christ is on the throne. So we get to ask the king. But for Daniel, living almost six centuries before the death and resurrection of Jesus, he calls perhaps for a more earthly mercy and has to intercede for his nation himself. And so having prayed earnestly, first by listening to God, then by turning towards him, third, praising him, fourth, confessing to him, and fifth, asking him, Daniel pleads, verse 19, for your sake, God, do not delay. Do not delay. Remember the national crisis. The desolation of Jerusalem is dire, as it is in our century. And the next two or so chapters of Daniel show how God does not, in fact, delay. He works out history because God's merciful. All the kings of Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, Alexander the Great, Rome, and all ancient history, they're all ancient history to the eternal king. If you remember Pete's talk on Daniel chapter 2 a few weeks ago, the message Nebuchadnezzar was given in his dream, all empires crumble. And as Will showed us last week, God is on the throne and he reigns. But now at the end of chapter 11 and into the first part of chapter 12, the scene shifts from talking about the deliverance of ancient Israel and the the restoration of the temple to the last days and the ending of the world. Because when we consider the nation in times of crisis, we pray for the nation, but we pray to the one who is in control of all nations. And then, of course, the question arises, well, How's it going to end? What's the denouement of the story? Who is the mysterious H line of duty fans? Now, will Peppa Pig ever learn to speak nicely to her parents? Will England ever win another World Cup? Will South Africa? These questions are unanswerable. Probably not the last one. It's probably a yes, isn't it? But the question we should be asking is, is this the end? And the answer to that is, jein, which is a German word, and it means yes and no. Jein. We are in the last age, the age of the church, expecting the return of the king. But the time of distress which marks the final chapter of this present earth will be unlike anything before. This is what we learn from Daniel. And if that terrifies you, Don't be afraid, because God's people will be delivered. Look with me at verse 2 of chapter 12. Everyone whose name is written in the book will be delivered. Delivered from what? From everlasting contempt. Daniel makes it plain. There will be a resurrection of the dead, and we will all face judgment. And seeing, as we know from everything we've read, that we are not righteous... We've been wicked and rebels, chapter 9, verse 5. But it kind of seems like the final crisis we have to face is our own judgment, and one we know we cannot pass. Because we've already been told, haven't we? We are not righteous. But friends, here's the good news. God is. God is righteous. And there's an even more wonderful truth. God has taken the judgment upon himself on the cross. Romans 5, verse 8, we read, while we were still sinners, just every time I read, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? Being justified is just a fancy word, just means we're made right. Last month, I went out with my friend Tom. He took me to a private members club in Marble Arch. And the guy in the door took one look at me. We, we had been to the theatre. Uh, I wasn't completely scruffy. But I still got the impression that he wasn't impressed with how I looked, that I didn't fit into this club. And then he saw my mate Tom. And immediately, he stopped looking at me, looked at Tom, who just said, yeah, he's with me and just nodded, and we went in. When we are in Christ, God looks on Jesus on that day of resurrection, not us. And so not because we're righteous, but because we bear his name, we are saved. This is what Daniel tells us. And isn't that just the best news? So, All this stuff, it kind of seems a bit scary. You know, Antichrist, the beast of Daniel 7, 8, and chapters 10 and 11. There's desolation, there's distress, all of this. This is not the end. As Nicky Gumbel reminds us, he uses a line from the film The Best Marigold Hotel. I'm trying to do an impression of Nicky Gumbel. If it's not the end, (laughs) if it's not right, it's not the end. We love Nicky. that this is wonderful news. And if it is wonderful news, aren't we called to do something about it? And we called to do something with it? The final verse of the passage we read today, chapter 12, verse 3, says, those who are wise, or a better translation, those who impart wisdom, those who impart wisdom will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is us. And we're called to lead people to the King. We're called to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we truly consider the nation, if we consider this town, if we considered ourselves part of it, considered the homeless, the 7,000 under 18s, the destitute, the isolated, the sick, the vulnerable, the unemployed, as well as the wealthy and the healthy, the CEOs as well as the unemployed and everyone in between and considered their ends, we'd be rushing to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ, to consider their king and coming judge. We've got to tell people, friends, and the brilliant thing is that we're about to enter a season where it's really easy to invite people to church because the church's official calendar starts next week with Advent as the watch and waiting for our Lord's return, remembering his first coming. So if you haven't done so, make sure you take some of these amazing leaflets, not those ones, some other ones, which I can't now find, but uh, here we go. These leaflets for our Christmas services. Invite your neighbours, invite your friends, random strangers. Invite them to Alpha as well. Tell them what a difference Jesus has made to your life. It might seem a bit scary, but remember that we have to share what is good news with people. It's good news. Good news that from Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And because it's good news, those who bring it are described as having beautiful feet. Which I mean feet, I mean, come on. Generally, kind of gross, right? I'm obviously alone in that one. Maybe feet are really beautiful. But, but when we witness to people, when we share the good news with them, we are not alone. If you've invited Jesus into your life as your king, if you've asked his Holy Spirit to live inside you, then you are indeed filled with the Holy Spirit and he will lead you to share and to pray. We just have to listen. And if, like me, you're a bit of a talker, sometimes that can be a challenge because you, you sort of have to be quiet for a bit to listen. But remember, that's how Daniel started in chapter 9. I, Daniel, understood from Scripture. He listened to God and he waited on him and so was led. One story to encourage you. The other week, uh, one of our staff was led to pray for a woman in the car park, in the, in the, in the supermarket. And then one of her colleagues overhearing asked her to pray with her as well. Friends, I'd love to encourage you to pray for those whom God has laid on your hearts, personally and for the nation and for our town. And as you pray, keep listening to the Lord. Keep turning to him and then particularly at Christmas, adore him. Confess before him and ask him, not because we're righteous, but because of his great mercy. So as you come to the end of Daniel, with the images of chaos, desolation and crisis, we know that we are not helpless because we have a God who reigns over all, who's merciful and just, patient, righteous and loving. Amen.